This is MC Fireside Chat, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Super excited to be here with you all for a back-to-back glamping show. So we did our live show from Glamping Show USA last week. It was a great show. We're going to certainly talk about that, recap some of the things we've learned again, but we covered quite a bit of it on that show, even though I guess the video is really blurry, Zach. So that was, I did tell you there was going to be some kind of a problem, right? (laughs) It was almost something. Wi-Fi was not strong enough to make it. So we all looked better, but you always looked good, but I looked better for sure, right? Because you couldn't see my face. It was all blurry, but we had a great conversation. Everybody hear the audio broadcast on our on the podcast really well. So the audio is great. And I think that was really awesome. And, and I'm sorry, is it Ange? Am I pronouncing that right? Ange? Ange, yep. Ange, okay. I got it right the first time. All right. That's impressive for me. It's very rare. We got Ange on as a special guest. And then we got Chris Jube. Is it Jube? Yeah, it's Jube. You got it. All right. Chris was gracious enough to, so I can't lie to anybody. This is my curse, right? I'm very honest to everybody. So Chris gave me this beautiful bottle of wine and I couldn't drink it before I left. So the TSA has it now, Chris. Like I had every intention on drinking it and then I got dragged to a brewery and had three flights and two, like I did not have room for wine. I would have died and tried to give it to Kara who had a luggage that she was going to take back, but she had to go somewhere else and we couldn't connect before the airports. I tried Chris. I really did. Zach, how good of wine did he pass up? It was pretty good. It was hangover free wine. Zach, anyway. I'm sincerely appreciative of it, right? But I like, I just couldn't mislead you and say, I did try. I promise you. I tried to give it away to five or six other people to get them to take it home or to drink it or something else. But hopefully the TSA guy's enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, really, I actually forgot it in my carry on too. Like it was in my backpack and they scanned it and they were like, Hey, wait a minute. You can't go through here with this. So anyway, I tried all the way up until maybe getting arrested. But so it was super fun just going to the glamping show, learning from a bunch of different people. And so I want to spend some time briefly recapping that and then just throw out this. If you are, you can see we're missing some of our special guests here or our regular guests. We do have a couple of people who have had to step away from the show recently just due to con- time commitments. So if you're watching this, if you're in the glamping industry, we're very much interested in maybe getting one or two people on here as a recurring guest. I'm going to post on LinkedIn and I did ask Zach before the show. He knows everybody and everything, right? So I'm not as connected as Zach is. But super excited and interested to hear from different perspectives and, and things that people are talking about and, and ways that we can provide value to the industry. Let me just start by having everybody briefly introduce themselves. So Zach, if they don't know what you do, you can introduce kind of clockwork and then Ange and Chris, if you want to just tell a little bit about yourselves. Hey, my name is Ange Arseng and I am the founder of the Queen Glamping. We're trying to set this up in New Hampshire. And the picture behind me is the picture that we took from the side when we actually went there to check it out the first time, the very first time in October of 2022. And this is, this is at 15, 20 feet elevation and the land goes all the way up to 2,100. I'm blessed to have Zach uh, work on my site plan and uh, in the process again, so that's, that's pretty good. For those of you who have watched Fireside Chats before, we don't do really like a bunch of hard hitting journalism here or investigative reporting, but I do have to ask. You said the picture behind you is the first one you took when you went to the site for the first time. Was your logo actually there in the trees or? It was. That's in- a pretty good sign. I would have, I would have gone through and hired Zach and done the whole process too. If that was the case, that's. It was a well, spirit. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for introducing yourself. We're excited to learn about what quaint glamping is all about. Chris, you want to briefly introduce yourself? Yes. I'm Chris Jube, the glamping guy. Check me out. I am journaling my development on my two properties here in Miami, Colorado. I have two properties with 12 units at the moment. 
and planning on having about 24 more next by next year and just developing Mighty McLamping. You can check out my gig at MightyMcLamping.com. But I, in talking to other glamping operators, I, is glampingguy.com, is helping other landowners develop safe, legal, and profitable glamping operations on their land. Awesome. And then last but not least, of course, Mr. Zach from Clockwork. Yeah, I'm Zach Stoltenberg. I'm a Clockwork Architects. I lead our outdoor hospitality studio. So we help owners and founders design, permit, approve, and construct their visions, their goals, their dreams for glamping resorts and other outdoor hospitality. But yeah, I think I agree with a lot of things that you said, Brian, coming off the glamping show this week, really just overwhelming the number of people that we met, the connections that we made was really exciting and, and powerful week for us. I actually, I came down and spent a couple of days with Chris at, at Monument Glamping immediately after the show. And I think I've decided with these trade shows, we go out, it's two, three days, it's 12, 18 hour days. I meet hundreds of people. I am exhausted by the end of the show and coming down and, and spending a couple of days with Chris. I, I got to spend the night in his new big red unit, his new park model unit of mining with glamping. I got to take a nap. I got to try some really incredible wine. I got to sit around a campfire and chat with one of his neighbors and I got to sleep in the next morning. I've decided that every trade show now, that's how I'm going to end it. I'm just going to find a glamping resort that's nearby and I'm going to book two days at the glamping resort. Because I think my wife was actually grateful because she's used to getting the the remnant, the shell of me that's left over after a week at a trade show. And I came home and I was rested and recharged. We got so much stuff done on Saturday around the house, get ready for winter. And she told me, she's, man, you picked butt this weekend. I, I wasn't exhausted. <laughs> Thank Chris and Monty. So yeah, I think that's going to be my new model for any trade show. Two, two days at a Glockick Resort afterwards. Just to be clear, so Chris totally set me up for failure. He's, I like you, Brian, but only good enough to give you a wine bottle you might have to throw away. But I like Zach enough to take him down and let him stay a couple of <laughs> nights, chat with my neighbors, give him wine, let him relax. I see how it is, Chris. Thank you. Oh, there, it was it was an official visit. We we had some meetings with the with the county officials as well to discuss some of the the planning and zoning changes that he's going through with Monument right now. So it was it was a very successful business meeting. Some got some good business done. Zach was able to see both properties, and, and we're gonna be we're gonna be working together and this just a business slash pleasure trip. It was a pleasure to have you there. It's all right. I'm not, uh, no one wants to me. I just, I set them up for not wanting to do that. But anyway, yeah, it was super impressive. Just the, like you're talking about Zach, the breadth of knowledge and the classes and the people we need and in specific to your trade show comment about resting and recovering. This is one of the reasons like when I very first started at trade shows, probably like in the campground industry, like 2011, 12, I was just going for a couple of days to be an exhibitor and then I was flying home. And so that was either a day and then it was airports on either side of that, or it was half a day or whatever it was. And I, and I think I realized very quickly that I needed that, not necessarily the rest and recharge because I still don't do that. I have too much to do on my plate less back then, but I did realize that helping like staying for the entire conference for all the sessions, for the slower paced things, instead of just standing on your feet for six or seven or eight or 10 hours at your trade show or whatever that is kind of helps balance that, but also lots of business gets done outside of just standing at the expo too. And the more, you know, the owners, the more you chat with them, the more you can learn from their stories, their struggles, their pain points, the better you're able to help them. So that's what kind of, I know that's not exactly the same thing we're talking about, but I understand. For me, it was a perfect way to end the show. I, I really appreciate it. Thank, thanks to Chris for, for hosting me for those couple of days. Yeah, you bet. Maybe next year we'll have a big party. It's really, fill up all the tents at the, at the new site, at the new site, because we'll have all that done and ready to go. Hey, Brian, not, not that I want to burn you, Chris did invite me too. Sorry. <laughs> Actually, there, Chris had a couple of us from the show that came down. Um, his site was only about an hour and a half south in Rappahoe. So nice short Literally drive. probably the entire show came except for me. I understand. <laughs> no, the, seriously, there was a, there was a lady that uh, went to the glamping show. She's just interested in glamping, kind of the perfect customer that, that we're really, this whole podcast has really dialed it into. 
is uh, she's she's uh, looking to invest in some property and start a glamping operation. So she came to the glamping show, learned a bunch, and then she booked my tenants for for the same night that that Zach was there, and and we invited her up for the wine and stuff. And we just sat and and parked shops for a couple hours. It was a lot of fun. And that's what I really like doing, right? Is And this is part of the reason you'll see me at some of the conferences organizing all the get-togethers because no one else wants to do it and bringing people to bars and restaurants. And we rented half the patio, I think, on Monday night at Lazy Dog, right? And had a bunch of people over there because those conversations, whether they're at Chris's Monument Glamping or at a restaurant or a bar or at the trade show, to me, those are invaluable just from a, a learning, knowledge, communication, networking standpoint, because the more I know, the more... I can either help people or direct them to somebody who can help them or they can help me. Right. I think those, uh, the glamping show is really unique for me. I, I don't know. Zach, you've been to Arvik, right? You were at Arvik last year. Yeah, we've, we've been to Arvik the last couple of years and, and I'm actually really looking forward to it this year because it's in Kansas city. It's in our back. Excited to, to share our city with the rest of the outdoor hospitality world. So really looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. I'll be there. And then I think it's too deep, too deep now as well. But just I, the point I wanted to make was like, it's a different kind of feel, right? And both conferences are amazing. But I think that the glamping show to me is, has a little bit more of a personal feel, given that there's not dozens of breakout sessions and a ton of education. And everybody's not in a bad way, but everybody's split into 10 different education sessions going on at the same time. And I think the glamping show just feels a little bit more personal to me. There seems to be, maybe this is true or not, but it appears to me there's a little bit more networking opportunities, chances to have conversations, things like that. So, uh, overall, just, I talked to David on Monday, just recapping some of that stuff. We wrote an article on modern campground, just really, everybody seems to be super happy with all the thing that, things that David is doing, uh, and obviously Ruben and the team and everybody who helps him, but yeah, just consistently come away impressed from that show. What, what is exactly what you... So Arvik is, it's an association of campground owners. It really, it started out more focused on the RV side, but every campground owner is waking up and tuning into glamping now. And the show, it's the Outdoor Hospitality Conference and Expo, OHCE, hosted this year, the first week of November in Kansas City. I think you can still get tickets. I think that there's still admission available. Some of the same vendors will be at OHCE that were at the glamping show some of the big folks that, that we love and that we do a lot of work with, but it's certainly some, it's a much bigger show than the glamping show. So a lot more attendees, a lot more vendors and exhibitors and really anything that's related to campgrounds or outdoor hospitality. It's, it's similar to what Brian was talking about, right? It's a place where a lot of business gets done. And then right on the heels of that is the campground owners expo COE in Springfield, Missouri or Branson, Branson, Missouri. Uh, and that's, I think, a week or two after OHCE. Is that a good and, show? And that one is, that one's a non-membership. So it's, Arvid is, it's their annual meeting for all the Arvik members. Campground Owners Expo is, it's the independent operators, right? The people that aren't uh, members of anything or belong to anything. Um, this is going to be our first year going to COE. I've had lots of partners and lots of people that we work with that go every year. They always talked about what an incredible show it is and that it's not like a repeat of Arvik, that it's different people, it's different groups, it's different vendors. We're going to go this year. And actually one of our, our clients, one of our independent hotel clients just opened a, a new boutique hotel in Branson. So we're going to go down and stay with them for a couple of days and go to the COE show. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that after you go. Like I may end up going myself. Like I've heard, I've tried to go two years in a row. I think last year I was in Europe. So that was a little more of a priority for me. No offense, Lori. But, and the reason we're talking about all these shows, by the way, just to clarify on a glamping, we're talking about campground and RV park owners, but this is a big piece of the glamping space as well. And maybe arguably where, where it got its foundations is the campground owners starting to add cabins could be considered glamping loosely, but some of the yurts and tents and different teepees and things like that to their campgrounds. And obviously they're two different worlds, but same, right? Glamping on a campground is not the same as glamping with 20 yards of space between you and right. And then there's definitely a place and audience for both, but they all tie into that same kind of category. And, and you forgot about KOA is in the middle too. So I'll be at the KOA show the week after Arvik there yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's just, yeah, I think the advantage of the shows is, especially more on the RV side, I think is that it's a more established industry. So a lot of those vendors, a lot of those members, they're folks that have been doing this for 20 and 30 years. A lot of the institutional capital and the banks and the, the financing side that's available. There's certainly, there was probably more at the Galactic show this year than there's ever been before, which is great to see that coming in. But I would compare OHCE to, to like a lodging conference in the traditional hospitality world. You go to the lodging conference, there's reps from Marriott and Hilton and all the major chains, everybody is there. And that's what OHCE is. It's all these established campground owners, people that have a lot of power and influence in the industry, people that have done this successfully for decades and, and really understand what they're doing, maybe own four five, six different locations. And like I said, some of the, the great vendors, I've already got plans with the guys from Conestoga because they'll be there. They're great partners of ours. We love what they do. And we've been doing business together for several years. And I said, no, I said, I want you guys to come out. We're, we're going to host you at my house. We'll have the campfire going and we'll do some drinks. We'll grill some steaks. And I'm going to host those guys on, I think on Monday night when they get in. So I'm really looking forward to some of that as well. Yeah, the personal connections, right? And it's interesting to me, the different types of audiences too, because you mentioned Arvik is bigger. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. I do know they're very close, but I think it's a different type of audience like you're describing. I think the majority of people who come to the glamping show or for the expo, they have probably arguably the free tickets to the expo. And a lot of them, like there certainly was a ton of people who paid for education at glamping, but there's for sure way more people at Arvik who are paying for the education and sessions. And who have those established, like I've been in it five, 10, 40 years and have that yeah. knowledge and things. So it's an interesting, it's interesting to see both sides of it, both perspectives. I think the Glass Creek show still has a lot of people that are in that startup mode that are trying to get going or looking for land, or maybe they're in like Chris first couple of years in, in business, they're looking to expand and grow and get more established in the industry. I, I feel like Arvik, there, there certainly are some of those folks there, but I, I'm going to guess probably three quarters of people at the show are established operators that, that have history, have background, have experience, and they're still interested in the education side. It's what can we do better? Yeah. What are, these are challenges. These are struggles that we're seeing as this feedback we're getting from guests. And they love the opportunity to network with other people from all over the country that say, here's what we did at our site. Here's what's worked for us. There's a lot of more like roundtable discussions and panel discussions. A lot of new things get debuted at OHCE. So a lot of the like third-party management companies that have launched in the last couple of years or, or last year, they made those announcements at OHCE. I think last year they had the big push that I saw at OHCE last year was with electric vehicles. Rivian was there and signing people up to be charter locations for Rivian. And they had one of their R1Ts on display. Airstream debuted their all EV uh, model like the week before Arvik, I think. And so there's, there tends to be industry trends, but a lot of that kind of happens. And a lot of those announcements are made around this time of year. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to me too, that I lost my train of thought now, sorry. I had to cough and then I, my eye was watering, but anyway, it'll come back to me. Yeah. I was going to say something nice about Arvik. Oh, sure. oh, the, the establishment of the nature of Arvik, right? So I think because Arvik has been around for so long, they've been doing their trade shows for so long and are arguably compared to that, the glamping show is relatively newer, right? Even though they've been around for, was it five, six years now? Something like that. I think I was talking to David about this on Monday when we were having just our, our call to catch up on, on some of those things and, and get some quotes from modern campgrounds. And I asked him, I said, how do you, as you continue to go forward and the glamping industry continues to get more established, there's more operators who have been in this for not just two, three years, but five, six, 10 years. Do you then extend the conference? Does the education change? Do you have classes geared toward more senior operators to continue their learning path? And he said, we'll see how that goes as we come, but we're pretty comfortable. Like in the day one, Monday is geared toward the early owner operators is I think you spoke at Zach. And so I think they do have some of those tracks separated as is, but it's going to be interesting to see how it continues to evolve and how we can continue to David and the team continue to meet the needs of all the different types of glamping operators. 
At this point, I'd settle for just choosing a location that has Wi-Fi and service available. <laughs> that was my you biggest challenge at the show. You meet someone, you try to connect with them, trying to use QR codes and things. And being in a facility that had no Wi-Fi, no cell service was, was really, I felt, it's holding back the show a little bit. And I'm sure that they've heard it. I know they heard it a lot last year. It's, I was really hoping that maybe this year would be the year that they finally figured it out and it fell flat again. I will tell you, like we did, like they did have Wi-Fi last year, right? And I think one of the big problems they run into is just the urban or the rural area of it. There's limited bandwidth. And I think last year it was there. It just didn't work. It was overwhelmed with so many people. Yeah. And so I think this year they made just the conscious decision to limit it, I think, to the exhibitors. That's what I heard. Or I don't know if that's true. I wasn't an exhibitor, so I didn't have it. But just to make sure that they could do those things at their booth and have those be able to do demos and things like that. So yeah, you're right. It definitely for sure is a challenge. I feel like if there was a way they could solve it easily, they would have done it. But yeah, I agree. It was a struggle for me too, because I can't get cell phone reception in that tin metal box or whatever that wow. means. So yeah. I, I do want to make sure we have enough time to get to Ansh and, and Chris too, um, just to each one of them share their stories and, and yeah, tell us a little bit more That's about what one. they're doing. I'll like well, load off into space. So let's start with Ange because we've heard Chris has been on the show before and he's going to be a regular guest. We're definitely going to get to you, Chris, but Ange, go ahead and see your story. What can I say? So I started my venture in April, 2022. That's when I, my, my wife's birthday is in March, so March 5th. And when the COVID was tapering out for a couple of years, I couldn't find any place for her to celebrate her birthday. And she was not, she was getting very anxious about getting out of the house and stuff like that. Stumbled upon this Airbnb at that time was advertising staycations and uh, what was that fancy getaways. So there was an A-frame picture in Ohio there. That's what they were advertising on their front page. And so those kind of piqued my interest and that's how things get started. Um, so from April to October, 2022. I continued to find, try to find a land, a good land. And I was in contact with uh, Ruben at that time. So we had several conversations about, okay, what do we do and whatnot? I came to the last American glamping show. And so we had some conversations going and he said, well, you got to find a land. And then stumbled upon a couple of places, a couple of landowners ditched me. So that all happened. In this process, I educated myself with at least 100 to 120 towns between New Hampshire and Vermont. Their zoning ordinances, their town people. I, I had a very good idea where this thing is going to fly, where this thing is not going to fly. So towards, I would say, as soon as I came back from the glamping show, I had a very good idea where I'm going to go find them. And luckily, as soon as I came back within a week, I got a call from one of the realtors that I was working with that there's a land that's going to come on sale maybe in a week. All right, sign me up. And came to see this land and same day we said, all right, we're buying this. And that's where the decision occurred. December, we bought the land, closed the land. And I spoke to Zach, I believe in December. And Zach came to visit us in January. And then we cranked up an entire site plan with all the engineering drawings, everything done by mid-May. So from Zach's plan in January to closing out with town by mid-May, that's our cycle time. And ever since- And Anch, to his credit, all the groundwork, all the analysis that he did in, in looking for the right site, his site was already zoned for lodging and part of the site was zoned for, for commercial, for restaurant. So as we approached the site design, we knew exactly where everything was going to go. And he got unanimous approval from the, the township on his plans. And we got a, a lot of the questions that neighbors typically have. And we were able to address that through the public hearings and the meetings. But because I spent so much time looking for the right site and the right jurisdiction to work with and the right zoning to be in place, it really was a seamless process. It's one of the best that we've been involved with very straightforward so that, that to his credit he's being humble he has an incredible property he's surrounded by ski resorts he backs up to the white mountain national forest he's less than a half a day drive from three major metropolitan areas 
and he had his market analysis and his numbers for the area and everything in place already. So he really did a lot of things right that made, made the piece that we do really easy on that. And I think this is very important to highlight what you're talking about, right? The preparation and the education and the willingness to do a lot of this legwork or to figure out that it even needs done in the beginning, because that makes the whole process as you're describing much easier. It goes smoother. You can convince people, you can get unanimous consent. You can find the right lane that you need. It can be zoned already. Right. And that makes your life easier. And even me coming in, I've never attempted to buy real estate. I'm not brave enough to run a glamping operation or anything. I've just got to sit here in my little cave and do marketing. But we were at the last night of the glamping show. We put together an outing. We went to a little brewery and we took Scott Bear with us who did the North American glamping report of the show. And on the way over, he was like, everybody kept coming up to us at our booth and they're asking us for feasibility studies, but we don't do feasibility studies. I wish there was somebody like we could just send them to who did. And I know there's people who do feasibility studies as well, right? But it was just a casual conversation. And so we pulled up chat GPT on this ride over here and we had it create an example, custom feasibility study. And there's a lot that owners just don't think about. And I think there's a big opportunity here to be educated by the glamping show, by different tools and software and resources to get yourself in a position like Ange is in to just make your life a whole lot easier. And yes, it's hard in the beginning, but you're setting yourself up for such greater success. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Zach. Um, uh, before we actually bought the land in December, I did go to town and said, Hey, um, conceptual review. Uh, I'm trying to open a glamping site and I'm planning to buy this land in your town. Are you okay with that? And people didn't raise any eyebrows. They were like, they asked a bunch of questions and I obviously didn't have any uh, answers, but I said, these look, sounds like technical questions. So as soon as I get to that level, I'm going to come back to you. So when we went to present our site plan, everybody knew what, what to expect. They, they already knew me, they saw me last time or, or two, actually two times before that. And, and we were there prepared. They already had all the paperwork, all the sites behind in their hands when, when we started to present it. And coming out of that, coming out of that meeting, I laughed really hard. Uh, um, the planning board chair said, thank you for bringing such a cool project to our town. And we came out of the conference room and Zach said, nobody clapped. I'm like, really? You wanted people to clap at this? <laughs> I've had that. I've had that happen. <laughs> It was like a a very good moment that, oh my God, we worked so freaking hard to get to the stage and we got it all passed. Now what? Um, Now we need money. Yes. Now we need money. (laughs) Ever since I have, I have been making or modifying, tweaking my business model to fit different things and different quotes or or changing my geometry on how things are going to work. There were obviously some assumptions that I made in the beginning. Every, every bank I have approached, nobody said no, a clear, no, we can't do this. They're like, numbers look nice. And I think the one thing that I'm, I made, well, one more thing that I did right is I spoke to Z- Connor from Sage Outdoor Advisory at the glamping show. And, and I said, all right, I'll tell you, what do you need? What do you need in a feasibility? What do you do in a feasibility study? We explain, oh, we make a hundred page report. We write this X, Y, Z, and we'll tell you what the operating cost is going to be. We'll tell you what uh, investment cost is going to be, and we'll tell you what, how much revenue you're going to make. I said, I can go and get all the quotes from the vendors, and I can come up with the cost, incoming cost from the vendors directly. And at max, I can slap a 10% on top of it as a contingency, 15% if bank is not happy. So that will cover that. In terms of recurring expenses, yes, I can contact somebody from hospitality management and I can get some feedback on if I'm missing something, my assumptions. I can cover that portion. Why don't you just help me with the market analysis? He helped me pull together market analysis, which came really helpful because then I can, I, I was able to constrain how much do I need to put in so that I can get everything out um, in, a, in a decent payback time. So. We did all of this, um, by, uh, the site plan meeting. Um, and then ever since I've been, uh, trying to keep up with, uh, the funding side of things. So hopefully when we get the funding squared away, we'll be able to start digging again. 
I think what's interesting to me, Anj, and I'd love for you to expand on it a little bit, and then certainly it could go to Chris too for the same question, is as you started your journey into glamping and you just said whatever the, the story was, you could tell it. I woke up one morning, decided to do glamping, whatever it was. From that point where you didn't really know anything about glamping until your first glamping show, until you connect with Zach, until you're here, what do you feel like has changed in your understanding and your own kind of words along that path? What led you down certain paths? And is there anything you would do differently or advise to an owner who's trying to follow that same path? Certainly. Oh my God. That's I know it's a lot. Feel that's free to a loaded question. Time. Oh, that's a loaded question. So depending upon where you are in your glamping journey, um, this question can be answered in several different ways. Let me just start by saying, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'd love to just hear how you did it first and then maybe write some advice. Cause I think your journey is more important. We want to hear about quake glamping is what I'd love to hear. Yeah. So I, I am a vivid hiker. I like to hike and I have hiked Katahdin mountain, which is tallest in the entire East coast. I haven't hiked the Colorado side of things. Cause by that time I was married and I started to have kids plan to have kids and stuff like that. But I do plan to hike Himalayas uh, next time I go to India. I'm training myself to, to get to that level so we can at least get to the base camp and, and then call it a day <laughs> at that point. But, but that every time I've been to New Hampshire, I have, I've lived in South Carolina, so I know all Smoky Mountains. I have hiked every single one of them, one of them at least twice, if not three times. And roughs to roughest height I have done at in South Carolina and North Carolina and Tennessee, um, beautiful place. When I came here in, in the New England side of things, what I learned is most of the campgrounds, they were all on the valley side. You bring your car and you come to the valley, a very flat area, and you park your car there and you park your camper there and you look up on the mountains and, and you have a stream, which is nice, which is also beautiful. Nice. Don't get me wrong. But I wanted to look down and look straight up and see the world. That's, that has always been my, my thing that because I'm a hiker, that was like in my brain unconsciously that I wanted to go up to the height and then look down or look straight and I should be able to see the world. So that's what motivated me to get to this land. But the more and more I learned about the kind of land that I picked, I feel like that we're investing little heavily to develop it because it's that terrain, because it's on a mountain, we have to make, we have to do due diligence and the permitting government permitting process requires us to do due diligence, to make sure the roads are properly paved and designed. The fill and cut is properly done. The OT permits cuts off at hundred thousand square feet of fill and cut. And the grade is very important because if something catches fire, not that anything is going to catch fire, but things catch fire randomly anyway. So our department is like, what if a lightning strike occurs and the grass catches fire? Cause that has happened in New Hampshire. So he's like, I want to, I want to be able to get on top of whatever you're going to put up on your land. And so thou shall brain make a road and, um, not knowing the slope of my land being 30%. Um, actually hit uh, really hard in the excavation costs. So if I had known all of these things ahead of time, I'd probably picked either an entire mountain where I can go in circles and go all the way up or not pick a mountain to put up a land on, but something with a flat area down below and a mountain land that people can hike up to when they wanted to. But then you wouldn't have had your view over everything. We would still, we would still would, because I would have a flat land where people can go and stay. No, not much excavation cost, but people, I would make a trail for people to walk up to the land. Go up and see it. Okay. Go up and see something. Okay. I feel like it's going to turn out way better with more struggles. Like that's yes. usually the better things have more struggles. Yes. And I say it all the time, but the sites that are the best locations for glamping are usually the most difficult to develop because they come with all those challenges. Hundred percent. All right, let's talk to Chris. And same question, Chris. If you want to tell a little bit about your, I forgot what the question was, Brian. It was a long one. So it was what if you were waiting on what you want to on her? Yeah. Okay. What has changed in your journey, right, from start to where you are today, as far as knowledge and 
Okay, sounds good. Uh, we started glamping in 2019. My wife and I did. Got a bedroom. Fell into the glamping world. Didn't even know it existed, honestly. I built a platform in the backyard instead of, and, and erected my hunting tent instead of sleeping in our living room for a month in the very middle. And we loved it. And we threw it up on Airbnb just to see what happened. We booked out the rest of the summer. $2,400 of my camping gear. Thought I made out like a bandit. So that's how it started. And then, so now we're just finishing up our fifth season of glamping with what I before, 12 units. And we want to build more. Three things that are on my kind of agenda, other than operating the, the glamping sites, is a second spec, a special use. That I, that I failed the first review, which isn't surprising. That's not a big deal. Uh, but I'm gearing up for a second review that will have more sites and everything. Uh, and, and so I'm, we're pulling all those pieces together. It's, it's going to take some time and effort. Uh, the second thing that I'm focused on is uh, is the modification of my original special use. Uh, maybe your guests don't know what a special use is. A special use permit is is something you get from the county that uses the rural residential property that I own uh, in a certain special way. And there's certain things that are allowed in, in, in the, 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 uh, the, the zone that I'm in. And what is it? It's a recreation camp is allowed here. And glamping is what I do for a recreation. Um, and the, uh, another thing that's really on my mind right now is that I have a neighborhood uprising going on right now. You can check it out at, uh, at, next door neighbor uh, if, you, if you do a search for for pine hills in in, in subdivision in, in colorado uh, i got a bunch of neighbors that's actually well one neighbor who's really stirring up a ruckus sending letters out to the neighborhood and and being really hard she's she's really the classic not in my backyard type of person she doesn't talk to you she doesn't talk to anybody in the neighborhood but she's very angry at me for doing what i'm doing and, and she's got, she gained some traction. In fact, Zach said that we talked to a neighbor. There was a neighbor who I've been friends with for 23 years, uh, who kind of got caught into a lot by this person who was, who was spreading lies about me. And it was frustrating to have a friend believe it for a while. I think I'm turning them, but the idea of dealing with neighbors who do not want what you have in the property, but on the other side of that, dealing with the planning department, who's actually making you do all the stuff you need to do to get that special use permit. So it's, it's like you're playing, it's like we become little politicians. It's glamping development. Yeah. Uh, so and, let, me, let me ask you this. If you, if you were to go back to that point where you started with all the knowledge you have today, would you still do it in your backyard or would you buy land like Ange did? Oh, I'd do it in my backyard. Okay. I'm just curious is why? I, the cost, I almost own my house, which is not anymore because I took a, a, a HELOC off my property to develop the phone to operation. So that's how I'm self-funded. So I've self-funded everything so far. And and that that's probably the reason why. And I know my property. But I grew into it. The first year, I only had that one site. And then the second year, I did two sites. And the third year, I did six sites and partnered with my neighbor. And now I have eight sites in the so it, it was, I couldn't have done it any which way, Brian. If I could go back with my, with the crystal ball. No, I think I, I like learning as I went and I'm still learning as I go. So anyway, but as far as the neighborhood, as far as the neighbors go, there's nothing I can do to please that one neighbor. That's the way it goes. And, but I do have land rights as a landowner. And that's the kind of hat I got to wear when I go to the commission and, and ask for the special use. I'm fulfilling all the criteria. It's, it's a change of mind. Zach and I got into pretty good conversation about how the, how a glamping operator should see their rights as a landowner. You're not really given permission to do a glamping operation. You're fulfilling requirements that they're already that they already have in line for you. The planning department can even deny me, and I can still go to commission and get it and get my special use. It's a kind of a little, it's a little bit of politics and understanding who the commissioners are. And I hired a lawyer who used to be a commissioner. Let's go. I think I'm, I actually, I'm 99% confident that I will get what I want as far as the modification goes. And even the second special use, I don't have any opposition at all. So it's, I live in a county that wants landowners to do exactly what I'm doing. And that's what 
it, it doesn't really matter what the neighbor wants. I want the neighbor to be on my side and understand me, misunderstand what I'm trying to do or exaggerate what is happening. I'm being accused of just setting up an RV park in the middle of a neighborhood. And, and that's just, just not true, but, but it doesn't quite matter what this one neighbor thinks. I'm setting up a beautiful thing that our master plan in El Paso County in Colorado encourages. Okay, I, I pull quotes out in my, in my letter of intent to the county that actually explain, this is what you said in the master plan. You want landowners to develop these kinds of things, like recreation camps. Here I am. I'm a landowner, and I'm ready to set up a glamping, uh, a glamping camp. So the commissioners get it. It's just some neighbors, when something wants to be done in their neighborhood, they just naturally against it. In fact, that's a good point. I, I was explaining this to quite a few people. I have found this very interesting that neighbors, when, if you come, if you live in a neighborhood and you want to start something in a neighborhood, or even buy a piece of land in the neighborhood and want to start something, neighbors very naturally will be against it. In 23 years, my buddy up the road is against it. It's just that this is, this is, this is odd, but I'm used to that. They very naturally will get, get, uh, get it. If a glamping operation already exists in a neighborhood and someone wants to move into it, they think it's the coolest thing in the world that the, the, the glamping operates now. So they're, they're like, hey, hey I'm, I'm buying a piece of property. I've got this, this guy who's got these tents and, and, and tiny homes out, out on his property. I think that's cool. So it's, it's a state of mind that you just have to deal with as glamping operators or glamping developers. Like many developers, really, we're not just uh, glamping operators. We're developing property to offer outdoor and semi-outdoor places to stay, venues, and, and it's wonderful. I think it's important too, and, and Zach, I want to just call you out. Or not call you out, but talk to you for a second. Uh, just about, like, when I first met you, I remember, and I can't remember what it was online or wherever it was, but, but the first impression I had of you was just, like, really smart guy, but does design. He's an architect, right? And obviously that just comes from an ignorance perspective of not understanding all the things that architects do, let alone your firm, right? But I think it's really important to emphasize and, and maybe lay out some of the different ways that Clockwork and even other vendors like Connor and stuff like that are just able to be so versatile and, and, and help in so many different ways besides just what typical like drawings that an architect, people might have the wrong perception of what an architect is narrowly doing. No, I, I think it's a, a good question. It's a good point. Um, and, and honestly, the, the answer is hard for me to, to give because I, I tell a lot of the folks that I talk to and I, I've done nothing but phone calls since I got home from the show, talking with people around the country that, that want to open clapping resorts. I tell them all the same thing, which is we will do as much or as little as you want us to do. A lot of the clients that we work with. They are very active and they're engaged. Like I said, to, to Anja's credit, he already had a lot of the things underway and had done his homework and was very well versed on it. And that was a fun project for us because we got to come in and just do the creative side of things, right? He, the great logo that you see next to him, that, that was already in place and we could take design cues from that and work with that. A lot of the folks that talk to us, they need all of those things and we can help them do that. But we also work with very engaged folks that, that are doing a lot of that themselves. Chris, to, to his credit, he's been doing this five years in, in the glamping industry. And that makes a grandfather of the industry. You're old hat at this point, right? Like you've got it down. And when we engage with Chris, he needs this one very specific thing that we can help him do. He, he doesn't need help understanding client experience. He's knocking that out of the park, right? creating those guest experiences, engaging with people. He's one of the best hosts that I've met. And then I got to benefit from that luckily. And those are things that, those are the conversations that we have with our clients, the questions that we ask, the things that they haven't thought about. And then certainly all the permitting, planning approval, but our services don't really stop there. We've got several clients that are in construction right now and tried to hire a, a DC. Who are we going to work with? Who can actually take this crazy drawing that we put together to get as a team? Somebody's got to execute on that. The questions that come up during construction, I'm actually really excited. We've, we've got two projects that 
have been on a struggle a little bit. Some of it on the permitting side, some of it just like Chris dealing with some neighbors. And just in the last two weeks, both of those projects have broken loose. So one is officially going to start with construction. They've onboarded their GC and they will be hopefully ready to open by next spring. And coincidentally, the GC that they hired just finished building another glamping resort. So they said, yes, we absolutely understand this. We get it. We know the model. There was a great contact to me. So I'm super excited for them. Yeah, our, another project, it's been on hold almost a year. We did all the drawings, all the documentation, went to planning and zoning and the project got denied. And the reason that they denied it was uncertainty about the septic system and the well and the water system that was there. And we've spent the last, I don't know, six months or more having an entire septic system engineered and designed and then permitted through the state to, to get approval on that. Um, same with the well. Um, and we're preparing to go back into planning and zoning for that um, because the two issues that they cited as the reason to to uh, not approve the project, those are both resolved now and those permits have been issued by the state. Um, and sometimes it is a struggle to get through through some of those things. Um, and, and I think a lot of people don't, don't realize that the time it takes sometimes to get some of these things done. And we're. I want to oh. add, once you're done, I want to add, but go ahead. Sure. But finally, after almost a year of delays, that project is going to be moving forward. And hopefully we can get a lot done over the winter. They're in a, a fairly temperate climate and hopefully they can get a couple things going and open on the ground before spring. And so I think the last thing that I would say is just all the clients, everybody that we work with, it's a partnership. We're investing in them as a developer, as an owner, we're investing in their project. We want to see them successful. So sometimes these start and stop. Sometimes we're having birthdays with some of our clients, but we're still there to, to support them any way that we can. And it's the thing that I love about being in this industry because it's, we're all just people. We're people connecting with other people who want to start a business that allows people to connect to other people. When I think, and Anja, Anja, I will let you talk, I promise. But that's what my point is, is why I, I think there's, and obviously I'm maybe unfairly lumping this into two groups, but, and, and definitely not saying one is better than the other, but I think there's two types of vendors when you're looking to get products or services for your glamping business, campground, RV park, whatever business you're doing. And I think one is the very narrow vendor that can help you with a very specific solution. They're experts in that area. They do it very well but they really just aren't going to do anything for you except that, right? Maybe an online reservation system or something like that. And then I think there are the expansive service providers like the Clockworks and the Sage Outdoors and the people like that who are able to do more of a broad scope of things because it falls under their purview naturally as architects or consultants or right feasibility studies, things like that. But then you can tell the difference between the people who have that broader scope, but are willing to forcibly broaden it even more to do whatever it takes to help you succeed. And I think that we're seeing very clearly those people tend to float to the top of the pack as leaders in the industry. And so again, not saying one is better than the other, they're all just different. And I think you need to be mindful of that when you're trying to go out and, and find service products and services providers for your business. And that's exactly what I wanted to comment on is before I met Zach. I had a engineering firm on the team from local from New Hampshire, and they did offer me that, Hey, we can create our site plan. And they were charging me 50% of what Zach fees was. And I said, okay, let's start the conversation. So we had a kickoff and the first question that the guy asked me, so where do you want me to put these domes? I'm like, okay, we're not having, we're not continuing this conversation anymore. So that was the thing that I moved over. I said, all right, I need an architect. And, but when I did interview at least five additional architects and where I draw the line is, like you said, Brian, very clearly, people who are really good, they will do their own job with blinders on either side, but people who can fill the cracks beyond the blinders, they would lead the pack. So Zach, in this case, hats off to you, man. He not only, he, I, I gave him the idea of this is what I'm looking for. He designed everything. And I asked him random questions that, okay, you designed this at hundred feet away from the other dome. What is the elevation difference? And he had that answer. So he thought about it. 
ahead of time. He didn't wait for me to answer, ask the question and then go poke his model and answer that. No, he thought about it. He's very detailed. And, and not only that, when we went out to the site plan meeting, uh, I was stunned at a couple of things. For example, our domes are more than 400 square feet area and campgrounds limit at 400 square feet area in our area, at least in New Hampshire. And ours are more than that. So one of the argument was we don't want another campground in the area. We have got plenty. The planning board chair said, oh, this is not going to be a campground because their domes are larger than 500 square feet. Wait a minute. So the building code applies. And I had no clue how to answer that. And Zach differentiated from other architects. He had, he has been on his town council deck or planning board or something. So he knew exactly what they're asking. He knew a lot of those answers that the, that the people there, the neighbors, he knew exactly where they're coming from. He was like, bam. And I was so blessed to have him there. I'm like, dude, you <laughs> go ahead, Chris. I got to piggyback on that because that's exactly what happened in Colorado Springs. Zach, I'm going to blur you up here a little bit because but the, the, the situation <laughs> But see, you also notice too, when you say this, he's humble and that's how the best people will react too. Yeah. Right. He, this is what happened is that I was being required to go to a commercial zoning uh, requirement for my tents. And because I had eight tents and it was just, a, it was, that, that's what the building department said. And they just said, well, that's what the code said. So anything over five rooms in, in a rentable unit, rentable space needs to be Permitted commercial. That means I'd have to put sprinklers in my tents and things like that. It would just be ridiculous. And it would be very expensive too to follow that standard. So Zach uh, and I went to this meeting with the bureaucrats, with the BPRBD, Pipes Peak Resident Building Department. And they, and they had their three ring binders, three inch binders out, and they were turning up. They were trying to figure it out. Zach very cleverly, and he spoke their language. I didn't have everything going over my head when they were talking, but they were talking about the different codes and how to get me into a residential. We did come up with a plan. And in fact, they came up with it and Zach kind of led them right down. I'm limiting myself to five tents. And then I, the other three of my property that I'm permitted for are going to be RVs and that are park models. So that was a solution to the problem that they had with fitting me, weird glamper, into the code that they had to enforce in our county. And it worked. And it actually plugs into what I'm fighting with my neighbors on right now is a modification of my special use because I was going to go all RVs or all glamping years. I was trying to redefine the, give a term to the code or to the county. And they weren't, the county wasn't really buying it. But now, because of that meeting, I'm going to the county and saying, excellent, all I want is three RVs. And this satisfies neighbors. And that satisfies the county and that all those pieces are falling into place right now. And that was because Zach guided the whole process. Zach, oh, you want to the credit. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> to the credit of the, the BPRBD, I think we walked in, the two guys that we met with, they, they really wanted to work with Chris. And I think they were very supportive of what he's trying to do. And he's got a great presence in his community. He's very involved. He serves on boards. He volunteers different organizations. He's hosted different groups out there. He's worked very hard to establish a good reputation, both of who he is as a person and who Monument Glamping is. Coming into that meeting, there, there really wasn't any adversarial tone. I think the, the guys that we met with really said, we want to figure out how to make this work. And they really worked hard for us and said, if we do this way, then then this applies. And if we do this way, then this applies. I was able to say, this is with the way that we've looked at this elsewhere in the country. This is the way other jurisdictions have handled these. And these are some of the benefits of doing it that way. These are some of the restrictions that we have to agree to if we do it this way. And we were able to work it out with them. They gave us a very clear path that still fits very much in line with what Chris is trying to do. He didn't have to make any huge concessions or accept any restrictions on that in order for him to keep doing what he's doing. And I think taking that spirit of it, of working with your jurisdiction, working with your neighbors, having those discussions, it, it's always the best approach. And it's, it's what we try to do. 
And I think we've shown that works, right? <laughs> we know the, the guidelines. We know exactly what we're going to be required to do. We present a well thought out plan. We want to give them something that they can say yes to. And that's Everybody what happened with Anch. Yeah, absolutely. That's why Anch got unanimous approval. We gave them a plan that was well thought out that they could say yes to. And Chris's hearing, I'm guessing, will be coming up in the next month or so. And our goal is to get a plan together that, that follows exactly the code path that the county officials gave us. Let's put something in front of them that they can say yes to. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't mean to go off on so much praise with you, Zach, but like it is deserved, right? Some of what you're doing is easy, but it, it just, there's so many people who won't even put that base thought into it or don't have the base knowledge of the breadth of, to figure out that easy solution, right? So. We always like to see our clients successful and we serve a very small piece in it. We're happy to do what we do. If our clients are successful with their projects, that's a reflection on us. And I'll gladly take that, that praise any day. For sure. Yeah, that's why I get up in the morning every day, other than I'm a geek and like technology too, but that's all other thing. But super excited. Yeah. I think we had a great show. We're running a couple minutes late here. So we'll wrap up. Does anybody have any final thoughts here? Nope. The glamping show was phenomenal. This time, one thing that I did different was I didn't attend a lot of talks. I rather went out and grabbed people and just talked to them instead. And I see wherever I saw the herd, I just went inside and see what's going on, who's talking what, who's saying what. And I think that was far more beneficial than the last time when I was like, oh my God, somebody's saying something. Let me record it. <laughs> so this was a very different experience this time. And there were a lot of vendors out there. Very good. I'll be see could say, I don't drink beer at night. This is actually kombucha in beer bottles. So who make kombucha? So still, I wanted to get that beer because it's very good at noon, but not beer. Although I do make a homemade beer, Brian. But, uh, this is the final thought that you want to wrap up the whole good conversation with is you don't drink beer? That was your one takeaway? Noon, I said at noon. Oh, at noon. Okay. All right. I thought you had said it all. Okay. Zach, any final thoughts? I think my, my biggest reflection over the last week is I'm just incredibly thankful. We launched the Outdoor Hospitality Studio in 2020, coming out of COVID. I left the previous firm that I was at in October, 2019. And there was a lot of questioning about timing and why is this happening? And I really struggled. I was like, I feel like there's so many good things that, that could be right on the cusp of happening. And I just, I was really frustrated. And the opportunities that, that I've personally been given since then, and just the, the clients that we've been privileged to work with, all the incredible partners that do all the things that we don't do, I feel just really thankful for where we're at today, as busy as we are, and the continued opportunities that, that we keep getting. And I feel like this last week was just really a, a stark realization for me in that, that we're starting to see some of the payoff on the investments that we've been making over the last couple of years, but I just feel really thankful and really humbled to be where we're at in the industry. When I think you, you don't need me to tell you this, right. And this applies to many different people, but the whole thing is a circle, right? And, and sometimes that circle is harder to climb up one side before you get down to the other and it goes faster. But that work that you put in the, the willingness to make those connections, to send people to different, to, to be a connector, to be an advisor, to be a, and I've heard those words come out of your mouth too, but I've been doing it for 15 years too. Just that ability to facilitate, to do, to go the extra mile or go the extra inch in some cases, it all is a circle. This whole industry is connected. Ruben is connected to David Course is connected to Clockwork is connected to Monument Glamping is connected to Quaint Glamping is connected, right? And, and everybody has an opportunity to help each other in a different way. And the more that we work together, the more we can help each other succeed. And that's really what the whole thing is about. If you do good things, we'll come back to you. This is what I believe anyway. So it's never failed me yet. All right, guys. Thank you. We're over a little bit. So appreciate you guys joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Focused on glamping. Next week is another episode focused on campground ownership. We've got a couple of new guests joining us for that show as well. So super excited to see you all. And then we hope you have a great day. Great week. Take care, guys. Ron, you too. Thanks, everybody. Take care, Mike. Thanks for joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? 
Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality. I know that I'm being hurt. I think you have to know that.